Hello, and thanks for joining us. Two sharp chefs and a microphone here. I'm Lorraine Moss, chef and journalist. And I'm Louis Victor, chef and professional food photographer. We started this podcast in memory of one of the best food culture ambassadors of all time, Anthony Bourdain. In his memory, we wanted to do the right thing and build a better sense of community among cooks, chefs, restaurant workers, and food lovers here in Las Vegas and worldwide. Gong hei fat choy, Louis. Wishing you great happiness and prosperity in the new year. Happy Lunar New Year, Lorraine. So let's go ahead and start with some words of wisdom in this podcast. Sharp quote, Lou. Our greatest glory is not in never falling, but in rising every time we fall. Confucius. Always quote Confucius forever and always. Confucius is not confused. No. No, not at all. Don't get it wrong. So, Louis, Chinese New Year, also known as Lunar New Year or Spring Festival, it's celebrated by more than 20% of the world. I didn't know that until Mm. I researched it. Um, It's defined as the first day of the first month in the traditional Chinese calendar. This year, it's January 25th. 2020 is the year of the rat, and they are believed to be industrious and thrifty, diligent and positive. Do you know what your sign is? Oh, man. Am I a monkey? Oh, no, I'm a rooster. Rooster. I'm a dragon. Yeah. And I'm a fire dragon. Whoa. Obvi. Obvi. (laughs) Today, our guest is Sheridan Sue, Las Vegas Taiwanese-American James Beard Award-nominated chef. He just opened a Taiwanese rice spot called Every Grain, where we're sitting right now. And many Las Vegas locals love, love, love his other restaurants, Flock and Fowl and Fat Choy. Sheridan graduated from CIA. We've had a lot of CIA graduates lately. Mm-hmm. And has worked at several high-profile restaurants, including Joel Robichon, Wazuzu, and Kumsa. Thanks for joining us, Sheridan. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. So nice to have you. I'm finally seeing you in person after all our social media posts. <laughs> um, let's start with Lunar New Year. Uh, first of all, did you celebrate growing up with your family every year? Yes, it was a very big thing. I grew up in L.A., Mm-hmm. and grew up in Chinatown and then moved oh, over wow. to Monterey Park, <laughs> which yeah. is a huge Asian, which has like a huge Like enclave, yeah. yeah. And Chinese New Year was just a really big thing. Yeah. I remember growing up, Chinese New Year, the school that I went to was predominantly Chinese, and if you were in school, you probably weren't Chinese. And um, <laughs> all the kids yeah. would be out of school celebrating okay. it. Because it's a national uh, holiday in China. It's just not absolutely. here. Absolutely. In China, yeah. they would take two weeks off. Oh, two weeks for the whole off. Chinese New Year? Yes. Two oh, weeks wow. off. It's crazy. So, I be- made the mistake of taking a vacation one year. Uh-huh. Uh, when my wife, my son, and I went to Hong Kong. And you couldn't do anything? No, everything was closed. <laughs> it was so disappointing. Oh, my God. Wow. But yeah. we did not think about that when we booked our flight. Wow. Oh. So... Um, my parents are not Chinese, but they were, uh, my, my dad was raised in Macau, uh-huh. which he's Portuguese. And like, there's a lot of Portuguese people in Macau because it was for a long time, um, a Portuguese colony. So, um, and they're also lived in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. So I know a lot about Chinese culture and growing up, the only thing that I knew about Chinese New Year, besides that it was delicious food, mm-hmm. was that I got lysi. Uh-huh. <laughs> which was money in that little red oh, bag. Right, and I was yeah. always like, five bucks. Like, I thought it was so much right. money, you know? And I was like, five bucks, five bucks, five bucks. Like, it adds up when all your aunties and your uncles give you five bucks uh-huh. each. Right. Um, so that was my memory of Chinese New Year. What was your 
your memory of Chinese New Year? Uh, definitely the food. It's, okay. Uh, just being around family and friends and, you know, just when it's Chinese New Year's, it's, it, it is the ultimate feast. You know, there's whole fish, there's roasted pig, duck, there's noodles on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, everything that you could think of, luxurious items in <laughs> Chinese cuisine, abalone, strikes mm-hmm. in, even though I don't eat it anymore. Yeah. But <laughs> it's, um, it's all out the there. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's so much fun. So you guys do a feast um, each year at Fat Choy for Chinese New Year. Yes. And I remember last year when you had, um, it was coursed out and you had, um, you know, each thing and you would say like dumplings and you would say it's for prosperity or um, tell us a little bit about that. Like with Chinese culture and Asian culture, the food corresponds to wishes for the new year. Absolutely. There's a, a ton of symbolism involved in Chinese New Year foods. Okay. Um, say, a lot of times, a very popular thing that you see in restaurants are spring rolls. Okay. However, back in the, I want to say, Tang Dynasty, uh, they would lay out spring rolls, and it was a very special thing. Okay. So they would lay it out on the table because it represented bars of gold. And oh. Oh, now I see it. Yeah. yeah. So dumplings were always served during New Year's as well because they kind of represented coins. So little coins. Um, Another popular thing would be whole fish. Okay. Um, The word in Mandarin for fish is yu. And a very popular saying is nian nian yu yu. So you would have fish and fish would represent uh, good luck and prosperity and all these good things. Oh. So it would be on the table, but you never ate the whole thing. So you would always leave part of it. Oh. So the following year, you would have more of it. And year after year, there would oh. always be supply. Very interesting. Yeah. So that's probably where it comes from, you know, how when people eat and then they leave the last bit. Yeah. So I, I get bothered by that. I'm like, eat it. Eat it. <laughs> eat it. <laughs> well, my understanding of Asian cultures in general, and I'm kind of like a half Asian million generation American, right. so I've lost a lot of it, unfortunately, and I'm trying to get some of it back. Uh-huh. Um, my understanding is that Asian cultures in general are very superstitious. Mm-hmm. Yes. So some of this has to do with superstition, right? Like having to do certain things in the new year to whether it's cleanse or give yourself, you know, new hopes, new wishes, or that kind of thing. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So some of the superstitions, I guess, growing up, my mom would always have me clean my room before the New Year's. Okay. So everything <laughs> had to be clean. You wore new clothes. I remember hearing day. that. Yeah. And. So it's like you don't want to bring any of the negativity from last year into your New Year kind of thing? Absolutely. The New Year, new everything. Wow. Um, new you. Not just resolutions. Right? <laughs> there, is there like an auspicious number? Or? Yes. I think it's with every year, right? Or no? Well, some auspicious numbers would be eight. Eight, um, right? Yeah. Yeah, just in would, general, yeah. Yeah, in general. You would see eights everywhere because it represented fortune. Right. Um, everything for the new year, it had to, it, it seems like it represents uh, fortune, health. Happiness. Happiness. And wealth. Yeah. Yes. There you go. So as you're putting together your menu, you're thinking about stuff like this. You're trying to be traditional, right? 
Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the things that you're working on? Um, so we're definitely, one of the starters, we're definitely going to have the spring rolls. Um, last year, I think we filled it with lobster. Um, so the spring rolls would represent uh, bars of gold uh, sitting across the table. Um, a couple other items. I think... Uh, Dumplings? Dumplings. We did a black truffle dumpling last year. Super luxury. Mm -hmm. um, last year was year to pig, so we roasted a couple okay. whole pigs as well. Wonderful. Um, although this year... You don't want to roast a rat? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure my guest would not. Yeah, it's not going to happen. <laughs> no. Yeah, so we'll have to figure out something yeah, out. Yeah, that would be a dirty dining. <laughs> right? Yeah, unless it's, you know, like... What, um, you know, I want to say river rat, but like, you know, field rats. Yeah, like, it's, it's not going to fly in America, at least no, not at this no, point. No. <laughs> um, let's switch gears a little bit because we're sitting at your new restaurant, Every mm -hmm. Grain. And as I know, as I've read, is that it's an homage to your mother and yes. her cooking. And Louie and I talk a lot about how food is attached to memory. Mm -hmm. And how does that play into your menu? You know, for, these are kind of dishes that I grew up on, the pork chop rice, the blue roll font, which is the pork belly minced over rice. Right. Um, the dandan noodles, sesame noodles. And when I was a kid, these were great memories for me. And growing up, I, growing up becoming a cook, a chef, I started in French food, mm -hmm. um, did some Italian and the more and more I cooked, I wanted to get back to what I had growing up because that's who I am. It's my food memories. And opening up a restaurant like this is very personal. Yeah. And I guess as time goes on, there are less and less people who want to open up these kind of restaurants. Right. Because um, uh, a lot of people open restaurants because of the business aspect of it. Right. Right. But like I just mean, a supply and demand thing. Yeah, uh -huh. but there's still that few, like, that breed of people that open up restaurants because it is personal, because it is an art, because, you know. And I think a lot of us go through this mm -hmm. as cooks and chefs, right? We are mostly all classically trained French in French cuisine, right? Mm -hmm. It's what you learn in school, Culinary Institute of America, CSN, uh, what's that popular? Um, Cordon Bleu. Cordon Bleu. Cordon Bleu. We, we all, Art Institutes, whatever, we all learn that French um, the French skills and we learned like you know about all the old stations and the way you did things and stuff but and you've obviously worked at a lot of top French restaurants in America but I feel like you get to a point as you get older you start a family you maybe hopefully find the love of your life and you kind of want to go back to that feeling of comfort and what makes you you, Absolutely. you know, uniquely For you right a time I had forgotten you know these these dishes and when I had my son, my mom retired from her job, and she came right out here. And uh, when she was here, she would start making these dishes that I grew up on. And even now, my son is seven, and whenever she comes into town, like she'll make those same dishes. And it's so comforting. It's so warm. Um, when I had the chance to open up something like this, I jumped on it. Right. You know what's I said, hilarious? I have to continue something like this. Yeah. <laughs> I just read a, an article. I believe it was in Food and Wine or it was Bon Appetit, one of the major 
uh, cuisine publications for the new year. You know how to do the trends every year? Yeah. And a 2020 trend, you're going to laugh at this, was grandma's cooking. Grandma. <laughs> oh, very So it's going to be oh, a grandma's wait. cooking year. Yeah. And um, you're ahead of the curve on that because it feels like mm. this is what you've done. I mean, you've kind of described it as that, right? Like that Absolutely, it's yeah. a hearkening to grandma's cooking, which all of us kind of look back on, the lucky mm-hmm. ones of us that had grandmothers that we grew up with. You know, that feeling of love and warmth and the passion that goes into the food, not mm-hmm. just the skill in the process. Uh-huh. And it's funny because um, I had worked for a chef, Jetila, mm-hmm. and he, he's got a show on the Food Network now. But when I had worked for him, everybody was trying to do like the El Bui thing, the foams. And, yeah. Right. And he would say... I'm passionate about my grandma's food. And yeah. that's kind of where I saw somebody like him and he didn't really care so much about cutting edge food. Right. He just wanted to cook the food of you know, his mom, his grandma. And for me, I, I was really inspired by that. I feel like there's a time and a place for everything too. It's, you know, you, Louie and I both love Jose Andres mm-hmm. eh, restaurant which yeah. is, you know, got the modernist cuisine. Uh-huh. And, and when we worked at Bazaar together, there are some elements of modernist cuisine there. Mm-hmm. We love, we've cooked for Ferran Adria, which was amazing, right. like one of the best life experiences ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a time and place for that. Mm-hmm. But is that something that I want to eat every day of my life or go to every yeah. Wednesday to eat? No, I want to have Taiwanese pork rice <laughs> or, <laughs> you know, or wings mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever it is that makes you feel mm-hmm. comfortable. And I feel like, Chef Sheridan does a great job of, and I don't want to make you too (laughs) embarrassed, but I think you do a great job of bringing us back to what we really want every day in your food, in your restaurants. It's It's really about the food here. And um, every concept that I visited, I've been to Fat Choy, I've been to uh, Flock and Fowl. I was just at Fat Choy last night. (laughs) The dishes you go because it's about the food. Right. It's not like the frou frou basically. No. It's what you grew up with. It's what you Mm -hmm. want. And it's, it's the stuff that makes you satisfied and you're satiated by the idea of the comfort of it. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's actually, you know, I think hopefully the most important thing in your life is the comfort, not, you know, you don't really honestly remember a lot of special occasions when you're 90 years old. You remember the everyday stuff, the stuff that, you know, like your kid Mm -hmm. smiling, you know, a great, soup that you had with your grandma uh-huh. or you were, that's the stuff that you remember. And I mean, is that kind of where you're going with these, these concepts that you're trying to proliferate? Cause you're kind of, you're kind of one of the first to, I think, go from, you know, going from this French classically back classical background and trying to just go back to simple and what makes sense and what's uh-huh. comfort. I think you're at the cutting edge of that in Las Vegas. It's yeah. I, I feel like, there are, there are people who crave this kind of cooking and, you know, why, why not? Right. Yeah, it, it's, it's something that it's not seen in this town too much. Um, so it, we're able to, you know, bring it out and, you know, create a spot for it, mm-hmm. you know, and share it with people. You know, I, that's what I would like to do. Right. So your first food venture here in Vegas was a food truck. Yes. We have some wow. friends that are actually starting a food truck as well. Yeah, shout oh, cool. out to May Street. Um, what was that like, and would you do it again? Because I've heard that it's very difficult, especially in Las Vegas, to, to accomplish and pull off for a long period of time. 
Oh, food trucks are definitely not made for Las Vegas. It's a beast, right? Yes. <laughs> it's either too hot, nobody yeah. wants to come out, things yeah. break down. Yeah. Or it's too cold and nobody wants to go out and um, stand in the wind. And right. our, our winds over here are brutal. So, yeah. yeah. You know, I really thought about that. You know, it would have to be like a seasonal thing. You can either, either go like right. um, spring You have spring fall. and you have those few weeks during yeah. fall. fall. And that really is it. Yeah. Um, so is that some of is that kind of some of the challenge that you had, or what were some other challenges in doing a food truck? Like why you didn't stick with it? Well, some of the challenges. Right, so when I first got my truck, um, it was kind of towards the beginning of when food trucks were super popular. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so I found a truck off of Craigslist. <laughs> and it was six thousand dollars. Oh was my! The cheapest thing I, I've yeah. seen. Right. So I contacted the guy who posted on Craigslist and you know, gave him the cash. Oh, no. So was, uh, <laughs> you just did it. Yeah. Yeah. You were all in. <laughs> so I figured, you know, as long as this thing could drive, yeah, I could turn the stove on. I'll put a wrap on it. <laughs> I may be 10 grand all in and I have a business. Right. Um, that was not the case. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> when I got the truck, I took it to the mechanic and he started pulling wires out. And oh, God. It's probably five pounds of excess oh, wires. Oh, no. Excess. Like, Can you yes. imagine? Useless wires. It's like, wires. this was... Crap. Yeah, this is all crap. <laughs> like, this was put together and, you know, redone again and again. And Mickey Mouse, basically. Yes. So, there's not, like, a food truck mechanic expert. <laughs> not yet. No, not no, yet. At least not but here. There are yeah. now. There are, there are now. There are a couple of people in town that specialize in fixing things up. Yeah. But... Uh, I definitely wouldn't recommend it. If, if you had to start out that way, yes, it's a, it's a good way to start, maybe. Right. But, you know, you got to think about the logis- logistics of it because you have this truck, and it's like putting on a catering event every single day. Right. Because uh-huh. every time you park your truck, you take everything out. Yeah. You know, you put everything back into real right. refrigeration. And uh, when you load the truck for your next event or your next service put everything back in, ice everything down, uh, you put all your drinks back in, all your, and you get ready to go, and you it's hope not you have ideal. business. And, <laughs> right, yeah. I hope you have business. So, yeah. you work with your wife, uh-huh. and I see your son a lot in your social media posts. Uh. So, Louie and I have talked about this a lot, especially with chefs and chef owners. How do you work life balance? It's I know it's not easy. It's not easy. Um, however, I, I don't think I could have asked for a better partner. Yeah. You know, she's, mm-hmm. she's really my other half, and uh, we sometimes disagree on things, but we try to find a middle ground. Right. And we always remember there's a goal at the end. Mm-hmm. And that goal kind of just trumps everything else, whatever right. little disagreements there are. Yeah, we always just work past it. And your hours are unusual. Is it because that you're trying to achieve that work-life balance? Um, I would like to say we're trying to achieve balance, but (laughs) it's it's rarely the case. Okay. Even though here at Evergreen, we're doing lunch only. Mm -hmm. Um, At our other restaurant, we're understaffed, and we find ourselves there at night quite quite often. Yeah. yeah, and our son, he was pretty much born, born in restaurants, and right. he's been along for the ride since he was a baby. 
Yeah, it's like yeah. a playground for him, right? <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Do you maybe predict like a future in the restaurant industry for your son just because of, I mean, his upbringing? You know, um, I I don't know if I see him in restaurants. Yeah, yeah. Um, he He's definitely very artistic and he's very smart. Uh, if he ends up in the food business, I, I would be happy. Um, he says he wants to open up a donut shop. <laughs> he's young though so yeah. what is he five he's six? seven years old okay yeah, yeah. that's donut shop age yeah. <laughs> um, I was like cafe age like yeah. around seven yeah I want yeah. to my cafe <laughs> <laughs> um, you've been nominated for several James Beard Awards how did that feel when you heard that first time <laughs> uh, the first time it happened I was surprised um, second time it happened same reaction you know it's not something I expected mm-hmm. I guess earlier in my career I wanted these things I wanted the accolades I wanted to be recognized mm-hmm. right now it's less important for me um, to be recognized that way um, I I think I exist to serve people to cook for people to make people happy to create food memories right uh, that's really what's important for me you know anything else is gravy it's, it's like icing on a cake yeah. basically mm-hmm. so you know and you know like you said earlier the kind of food i'm doing i'm not really aiming for you know any awards but but they're really still there it's the awesome <laughs> and um yeah so when the news came out i was sleeping and my wife you know just stabbed me on the shoulder right she goes wake up wake up you're nominated like, nominated for what? <laughs> An Oscar! <laughs> for the culinary industry. And um, so when she told me, I thought it was a joke. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> now, the James Beard Foundation is real. It's, it's been amazing because it opened up. It has opened up so many doors. You know, I've had opportunities to do other things, you know, uh-huh. work with other restaurant groups, uh, different chefs that I probably wouldn't have that kind of opportunity before. Right. For sure. Crazy exposure. Yeah. Um, so you have any advice for young cooks? Because I know you've been through the whole gamut. Like uh-huh. you've started out in like restaurants and fine dining and all different kinds of things in different cities. Um, what can you say to, to young people that are trying to come up? It's not easy. I know that. <laughs> No, it's not. It's, We've all done it. And the day it becomes easy, you got to... Keep moving. <laughs> you got to keep moving. You got to move on. Right. Um, the advice that I was given when I was first starting out, my first job, um, I said, I want to be a great chef. So my chef came to me and said, this is what you have to do. You know, you spend five years cooking on the line, mm-hmm. make sure you master fish, master meat, master garmage and do some pastries. Mm-hmm. And once you're able to do all that, the next five years, become a sous chef. You know, and just run kitchens for other people and make sure you know what you're doing, make some mistakes, and learn from it. Right. Uh, and don't try to become a chef right away because right. you'll fall flat. And if you're at if you're supposed to be at the top, you fall flat, it's going to break you. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you I can't. feel like that happens to a lot of people in our business. Like yeah. when you're suddenly thrust upon that title and that, that position, and then you don't have the experience to back it up. And I think a lot of cooks too don't realize, and it was like a, a big realization for me when I went from being a cook to a chef, which was that a lot of the cooking goes away. <laughs> and that was the number uh-huh. one reason why I got in the business, because I really wanted to cook. Right. And then suddenly, you know, you're doing inventory and you're doing, you know, uh, you're worrying about sanitation and you're worrying about, oh crap, the shift's not covered and the yeah. schedule. And it's like, mm-hmm. you're, you're getting so far away from the food, like in a lot of ways. And it's just, uh, I mean, for me, it was so nice to have somebody that had been through all of it. So my advice is always like get a mentor, you know, have, find somebody that is going to weather, help weather the storm with you because you're going to get a lot of surprises along the way. Right. And that, um, that kinship makes such a big difference in your mm-hmm. career. Um, the last thing I want to ask you is you grew up in California. Uh-huh. Louis grew up part of her life yeah. in California and I was born and raised in California. Uh-huh. Do you consider yourself a Las Vegan now? Like, is this home for a while? Right. I mean, because you've got three restaurants now. So, or are you going to move back to California? I am absolutely 100% a Las Vegan. Yeah. All yeah. the way. Well, Why what do you guys consider Las Vegas? I think Las Vegas chose me. It's the other way around. Oh, so, when I first came out here, it was 2005. Mm-hmm. Um, but I heard Joe Robichon was opening at the MGM. I came out here, did a tasting, and got offered a job right away. So that first year that I was in Las Vegas, I hated it. Yeah, <laughs> there was, it was nothing here in 2005. I think I moved exactly, here around yeah. the same time. Um, I was driving from San Francisco on the 15, and it was desert hot. And I could see vultures and wheat. <laughs> and just like, I'm like, oh my God, I'm resigning myself to this kind of future? But yeah, there was really nothing except for bars and casinos. I mean, there definitely bars. wasn't a local food scene. And bars that don't close down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. But um, yeah, so that first year um, that I was here, I got offered a, je- a job back in L.A. So I went back. Uh-huh. Um, and then when my friends were opening a restaurant called Social House, and I I pulled back in to Vegas, mm-hmm. and I tried to leave a couple times. I remember that restaurant. <laughs> yeah, but it just kind of sucked me back in. Um, I feel like Vegas does that to you. It does. Because I, I moved back to San Francisco and then came back to Vegas. Yeah, <laughs> and it's, it's very charming in a way because it's such a small, small food community. Yeah, and it's, it's a little big like, town. Yes, it is. <laughs> and that's a big reason why I love it, too, because... Right. You know, there's community here, whereas yes. if you go to L.A. or San Francisco, it's huge. Especially in our business. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, the moment was very recently that I realized that I was a Las Vegan, because the whole time I was kind of like arrogant, Californian, you know, like California's better, we got the beach, and, and uh-huh. I was born and raised there. That's yes. what I know. I went to college at UCLA, like I'm very much an L.A. girl and San Francisco girl because I was born there. But... Very recently, I realized <laughs> that I was a Las Vegan when the statistic just came out that for the first time ever in the state of Nevada, there are more Californians than Nevadans. That just came out last year in 2019. Huh. Wow. A couple months ago, that came out. And when that came out, my first intuition was, why are all these people moving here? <laughs> and then I realized, holy crap, 
I was a Californian that moved here. So what am I yeah. saying that? Like, why? What the hell? Like, I sound weird. But yeah, that's when I realized that this is my home. Uh-huh. And like, I want to protect it right. <laughs> from prices going up and like, you right. know, my becoming impossible to buy anything and live, you know, that kind of thing. But yeah, yeah that's when I realized I was a Las Vegan. Do you consider yourself a Las Vegan now? Yeah, I think so. I'm, I'm shackled here, you know, from just uh, because of my career and my projects and my work with Eater and everybody else in this town. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. really easy to, I mean, it's funny. It's. I feel like before I got into the restaurant industry, it was hard to make friends in Las Vegas. People always say mm-hmm. that it's so hard to make friends. But then once I got into the restaurant industry, it feels like it's so easy to get to know people right. quickly in mm-hmm. our business because people are very helpful here mm-hmm. when it comes to, I'm opening a restaurant, I'm opening a blah, blah, blah. You know, I want to do mm-hmm. this. Like, what do you think about this? And people have opinions and it's, they're helpful. Right. They're a lot more helpful than they are in other markets. Mm-hmm. Totally. All right, we're going to switch gears on the fly right now with Sheridan Sue. We're going to do 60 seconds. Rapid fire. Rapid fire questions. Are you ready, Sheridan? Oh, yes. Let's do this and go. The food you need in life. Noodles. Favorite dessert. Chocolate ice cream. Best tool for your job. Um, Four-inch paring knife. Cat or dog person? I'm a dog person. Most inspirational chef? Alain Ducasse. Dream place to travel and eat? Ah, so hard. I know, there's so many places. Yeah. Pick one, pick one. We're on the I'd say, I'd go back to Taipei. Okay, childhood food craving. Pork and chive dumplings. Guilty pleasure. Tiramisu. <laughs> Favorite alcoholic beverage. I. Beer. Beer. There you go. <laughs> and one last question because okay. we probably know that you don't do it, but how do you relax? I hang out with my son. Nice. All right, I just want to ask this real quick. Four-inch paring knife, why? I don't know. (laughs) It's, um... Do you like to carve fruit or something? Yeah. (laughs) Do carvings. (laughs) I do a lot of um, work with vegetables, and, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's just... Right. Because I, I know some cooks that, like, slip it in their jacket, like, their mom or oh, yeah. and they use it. Or they have that little sheath. Everything. The little paring knife yeah. sheath right. on their That's pants. Do you, like, do you carry your four-inch paring knife in, you know, in your pants pocket? <laughs> no. It's not a bad idea. <laughs> no? Okay, that we're going to give you a chance to sell it, <laughs> Chef right. Sheridan Sue. Sell it for any of your properties or all of them, whatever you want to sell it. This is your time. Okay. So Fat Choy is a great neighborhood restaurant. Uh, we just turned seven years old. Woohoo! We, seven. Yeah, Beautiful. It's crazy, and it's been it's crazy. Time has flown so fast. It's still badass. I had it last night. It was so good. Right on. It's a restaurant where you can get a really good burger alongside a one-time noodle soup. Perfect really wings. Bow and wings. <laughs> yes, I would say with Long and Fall, probably the best wings in Las Vegas. Uh-huh. Um, I love your. Chicken. Thank you so on much. chicken. chicken. Oh, the chicken. chicken rice was inspired by another trip, but 
you know, something I grew up eating. And the first time I went to Taipei to have it, like, I was blown away. And it was something I, when I came back to Vegas, I fought about over and over and over again. And I knew I had to open something up and recreate it. And Evergreen. Yeah. And Evergreen because we, I'm trying to share something that I grew up on and it's a very personal project. It's something I hope the community will embrace and um, you know, we're here for you. Sheridan Sue, thank you so much for being in Las Vegas and staying here with us. Right. You've made a huge impact in our community and we're so proud to be able to interview you. Well, thank you, Lori. Yeah. Thank you, Louie. Gong Hei Fa Choi. How do you say that in Mandarin again? Gong Shi Fa Tai. There you go. Thanks for listening to Two Sharp Chefs in a Microphone. We love subscribers almost as much as we love food. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review. And check out Two Sharp Chefs, that's with a number two, on Instagram and Facebook, as well as our WordPress blog. Email us with any questions and ideas at twosharpchefs at gmail.com. And Louie, we stream new episodes every Monday on iTunes, Spotify, Radio Public, and Stitcher. It's been a pleasure. We're 86th. Till next week. <laughs>